Okay, today, uh, we are not jumping back into the Gospel of John. Uh, so we've been going through the Gospel of John. Uh, we started several months ago. Um, we're going to continue on probably in a few weeks, but this morning, we're actually going to start a short series, a new five-week series. Um, we're calling the series, We Are Restored. Um, and through this series, we're going to be going through our five values as a church. Okay, we're going to be going through our five values. We have, we have five of them, the, the gospel, family, dependence, mission, and multiplication. Okay, if you've been around for any length of time, those should seem somewhat familiar to you. If you've been to an intro and info lunch, those should be kind of on your radar at least. Um, but today we're going to actually hone in. Go ahead and grab your Bibles if you have them. We're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, that's totally fine. The words will be on the screen so you can follow along. Um, I'll be in the ESV this morning as per normal. But uh, how many of you guys were with us when we were still gathering on Sunday nights uh, at like the youth room over here? Raise your hand. Maybe a handful of us. God, yeah, so cool. Um, it was really cool. That was a really amazing season for us as a church. We were like forming. It was like, I don't even know if we had given birth to the baby that is the church plant yet. We were still like kind of incubating and seeing what was going to happen, seeing who um, this unique people, this unique church, this unique community was going to be. And the very first um, gathering, we started the very first kind of sermon series that we did at a church, that we did as a church, and we called the series, What is the Church? Because we thought, hey, it's really important for us. If we're, gonna, if we're planning a church, this is a church plant. If you're new, congratulations, we're all new. Like, welcome, you're invited, this is great. But if we're going to be a church, as a church plant, if we're going to be a church, we need to know what a church actually is. Okay, you can ask five different people and get five different answers on what the church is. Something that you go to on a Sunday morning. A building that has a cross on the top. I mean, you name it. There's all different things. We said, okay, we need to understand. We need to be on the same page. If we're going to plant a church, what is the church? Okay? Um, if you haven't listened to those, um, it'd be really good for you to listen to those because, again, they, it's, it's, if you want to know what we're doing, we're planting a church, what a church is, it'd be really helpful. You can listen back to those on the podcast or whatever. But that first series, it helped to answer the question, what are we? We're a church, okay? This series that we're starting today is going to answer the question, who are we? Like, what we're all about. <clears throat> okay, if we're going to be a church, we need to be on the same page of what a church is. If we're going to be restored church, we need to know who we are, what we value, what we're all about, okay? Um, it's funny, when Ebony and I started dating, she worked at In-N-Out Burger. Okay, any not fans in the room at all? You guys are like mellow this morning. There we go. Okay, um, <clears throat> so in it, she worked at In and Out Burger, and she looked so like cute in her uniform, and it was cool and everything. But if you've ever eaten at In and Out, you know that they are like pretty passionate about customer service. They value customer service. Okay, you see it in the way that they're always like the associates and the employees are always smiling and they're always trying to be as kind as possible and. It, it's pretty evident that they value customer service. Ebony would tell me stories about some of the, some of the ways that the customers would like <laughs> take advantage of them, of in and out valuing customer service. So she would tell me stories of like, guys would come to the counter, okay? They'd, they'd come to the counter with like a burger that has maybe three bites left. And they'd be like, uh, excuse me, I ordered this without pickles. 
And they go, I'm so sorry, sir. And they give the guy a brand new burger, brand new double-double after he finished almost the entire thing. I'm like, you can't, that's like ridiculous. Why would you do that? They would do that because they really value customer service. Friends, what we value, what you as an individual, what us as a church, what we value, it informs what we do. It informs how we behave. Uh, Take a moment, think about the family that you grew up in. Think about the family you grew up in. What did your family value? Like maybe you didn't have your family values kind of listed on like the fridge or something. But every, every family values something. Every family has values. And you can tell what a family actually values by observing how they operate. By observing the things that they do. For example, um, one of the things that was actually really prevalent um, at the first church plant that we planted in San Diego was there was a lot of people who grew up in families <clears throat> where, that, where their family, like, they valued excellent performance. Okay, so that shaped everything. So whether it was work or it was school or it was sports or athletics or whatever, that was like the family that they strove to be the best. Okay, like at all costs. So the B plus was not good enough. Excellence in performance. And oftentimes there tends to be a lot of pressure in those environments. Pressure to perform up to a certain standard, right? So maybe it wasn't like excellence in performance that your family valued. Maybe your family valued quality time. For me growing up, uh, I'm looking at my parents as I tell them this, but for me growing up, they worked really hard, both of them. And every so often, as a young boy, ever so often, I would, uh, <laughs> my dad would show up at my school and he'd be like, come on, let's go. And I'm like, where are we going? He's like, today's a lucky day. And I'm like, a lucky day. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> do you remember this? And so he would take me out of school and we would have a lucky day. And we would go, it, would, it, was, it was great, man. Uh, I would get to spend the day with my dad. And he would take, we would go to this, we lived in Orange County at the time, and we would go to this Mexican restaurant called El Conejo, and I would get, I would get a quesadilla every time, and we'd just wrap out and talk and have fun and play, and then every time he would take me to Toy City, okay? Toy City no longer exists, but it was like, it was like this massive toy store, and he'd be like, okay, you can pick a toy. And I'd go pick a toy, and we'd play and have fun, and it was this great, it was this great day we'd spend the day together, you know? I remember that. What about for you? What, like, again, I want you to think about your family. There's no right or wrong answer here. Okay, there's no perfect family. I shared a cool experience that I've had, but there's no perfect family, okay? What did your family value in the family you grew up in? Maybe it wasn't excellent performance. Maybe it wasn't quality time. But every family has values. You get the picture, right? Yep, great. Okay. What we value, it informs who we are and what we do. And the purpose of this series that we're starting today is to remind us and to clarify for us who we as Restored Church are, what we value. It's going to help all of us get on the same page about what we value, okay? And today we're going to kick things off with our very first value, and this is the most important of all of our values. It's the primary one, and that is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. If our five values were like a solar system, the gospel would be the sun, Everything else, all other four values, 
They revolve around the sun. It revolves around the center thing. That's the gospel of Jesus, okay? So hopefully you're at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read that before I do. I'm going to pray for us, okay? Will you join me? Father, thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your grace and your mercy and your patience, even with me, um, especially with me. I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, you would enlighten us to the gospel, maybe in ways that we've never, um, we've never seen it or never heard it. I pray that every heart in the room would actually, um, that the soil of our hearts would be ripe to receive the seed that is your gospel and that it would actually like produce fruit over time. I pray if there's anything that I say or do that gets in the way of what you want to do this morning, I pray that you'd, get, you'd keep that from happening. My desire is to serve. My desire is to honor these people. So would you have your way, Holy Spirit, please? I'm so excited this morning. Uh, bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, okay? This is Paul writing to Christians in the city of Corinth, and he says this. Now I, Paul writing, I remind you, brothers. That word brothers could be brothers and sisters. It's not a, a, a gender thing. It's not a sex thing. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's the apostle Peter, Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he, Jesus, appeared to more than 500 brothers at a time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Okay, this morning we're going to talk about three things. If you're taking notes in your journal, in your restored app, whatever, write these, things, these three things down. Uh, the first is this. We're going to talk about what the gospel is. We're going to talk about what the gospel means. And lastly, why it's so important for us, okay? What the gospel is, what the gospel means, and why it's so important for us. Okay, let's talk about what the gospel is. Um, The word gospel in the original Greek, okay, what it literally means is joyful news. Some of you guys have heard the gospel means good news. Yeah, it means good, joyful news, okay? And oftentimes, it would be associated with like military victories. So if, if Rome, for instance, stay with me, if Rome, like say they were in battle, okay, and then they won the battle, they would go back to different cities and report news of the victory that they experienced in that battle. They would report a gospel, joyful news, we, we won. Makes sense. 
Okay, so that would happen all the time. That's this idea of gospel, okay? Um, those of you guys are familiar with like any, any uh, world history, you know, World War II. You guys know V-Day, the day World War II was done. Like, I mean, you can imagine, there, you see there's all these pictures, these beautiful black and white pictures of like cities all around the world dancing and celebrating and partying in the streets because this world war was over. <clears throat> so the allies won and you can imagine them, that, that news being shared, the war's over, we've won. There's been victory. That's a gospel. You tracking with me? Okay. Now, in the case of the Christian faith, we too have a gospel. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. So what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let's look back. Paul, he lays it out pretty clearly in verse 3. Paul says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance, he's making this a big deal, first importance, right? What I also received. So he delivered something that he also received. This is what he says. This is what the gospel is. That Christ, that's Jesus, died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Okay, all this was prophesied beforehand and that he appeared to Cephas and to the 12. Okay, so to boil it down, the gospel, the gospel news, okay, the news of victory, Christ died for our sins. That's what's being reported. He was buried. Okay, that means he really died. Okay, <clears throat> he rose from the grave and then he spent time with people after he'd risen from the dead. Okay, this isn't like an episode of Walking Dead. This isn't like a zombie thing. This is something completely different, okay? And this is the news that Paul received and is now sharing and reporting with other people, okay? So here's the thing. The fact that Christianity is a result of a gospel message is what makes it different than every single religion on the face of the earth. Because it's not advice. It's a gospel. It's not a set of directions to do. It's an account of what's been done. Are you seeing this? Okay. Every other religion essentially teaches that, sorry, Every other religion essentially teaches like what to do or what not to do, okay? So for instance, a couple of examples really quick. I don't have a ton of time to spend here, but like Muslims, right? They have the five pillars of Islam, okay? Buddhists, they have the enlightened, I'm sorry, the, the eightfold path to enlightenment. But Christianity is something completely different. It's, it couldn't be more different than that. Because Christianity is not advice about what to do, it's news about what's been done. Christianity is the result of a gospel. Um, <clears throat> there's this kind of famous quote, it's really short, by this guy Greg Owen, and he says this, he says, the world has many religions, it has but one gospel. Uh, recently, <clears throat> uh, I was, uh, I came across this video on YouTube that's kind of I hate, everything seems to go viral these days, but I think this genuinely went viral, especially in kind of Christian circles. And it was this video on YouTube of this, um, this woman who was uh, like a worship leader, kind of like a Christian celebrity worship leader for many years. And the title of, it's, talk about clickbait, the title of the video was, I Stopped Believing in God After Pastoring a Megachurch. And so of course, I'm like, I have to watch this. So I click on the video and um, 
and I knew of this woman and her husband, and I've actually met them before, and they were really nice people. But either way, <clears throat> she's describing kind of their backstory. And they, they were kind of, they were, they were leading worship at this massive church, and then they kind of, uh, their ministry kind of expanded, and they were traveling all over the world leading worship musically and stuff. And she described, in the process, she was like, she described having a transactional relationship with God. She was like, like me and my husband, we didn't sleep together before we got married. Like we did all the right things. We prayed, we did all these things. And she described some of these things that she wanted. She, one of which was a baby. And she's like, so we did all these things and we didn't get what we wanted. So she describes having this trans- tra- transactional relationship with God. She describes doing all this stuff that she was doing to earn things from him that ultimately didn't come. And it's so sad, like she walks away. She's like, I don't believe in God anymore. It's so heartbreaking. But the thing that's heartbreaking is she didn't understand that Christianity is the result of a gospel. It's not what to do to earn things from God. It's what's already been done. It's... She had a complete misunderstanding of what Christianity even is. The world has many religions. It has but one gospel. And we as people, we can even approach Christianity as a religion. But in doing so, what happens is we reject what Christianity actually is, a gospel. Not advice, not directions on what to do, but good, joyful news about what's already been done. That, I mean, this was my story. Like, pretty similar. I mean, I, I identified as a Christian. I would have said, I, I'm a Christian. I identified as Christian for years before I came to understand that Christianity is actually about what God has done, not what I do. Like, think about that for a second. Think about the effect that this ought to have on how Christians interact with each other and how Christians actually minister to each other. Listen, it means that we aren't people who primarily share good advice or people who share good news with each other and with our neighbors. Not good advice, but good news about what's already been done, not what you need to do in this specific moment, in this specific situation. So if you're a Christian in the room, I just want to ask you this. I, felt, I feel convicted about this all the time, so I'm with you in this. But if you follow Jesus in the room, when somebody opens up to you and somebody approaches you, is your first reaction to, to share like sound advice or to share good news? Okay, that's what the gospel is. Let's talk about what the gospel means, okay, because this is really important. Now, just to be clear, uh, the gospel's fairly straightforward, okay? It, it, it's news of what's been done, right? Yes? Yes? Okay. It's news about what's been done. So, from that perspective, it's fairly simple. But hear me say this. The implications of that fairly simple news that's been reported, the implications of that are anything but simple. Like, they're seemingly never-ending, it's like, dude, every, I feel like every few months, scientists discover a new galaxy. 
It's like, how many galaxies are there? The universe is so vast. It's so much bigger than we can even wrap our minds around. The implications of the gospel are kind of like that. It just keeps going. It's like, this is massive. Yes, the information, the news, very simple, very straightforward. Paul lays it out. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. Then he appeared to people. That's very simple. The implications are seemingly never-ending, friends. In other words, if the news that's reported is true, it literally affects everything. Um, Too often, I see this happen. I see this happen in the Western church quite a bit. And what it is, is the gospel is kind of viewed as something that you um, believe, you believe the news, and then you start being a Christian. So like, I, I, I have the news, I believe it, and now I'm going to go be this Christian person, do the right thing, say the right thing, be the right thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to fast, I'm going to join a small group. I'm gonna, all those things are amazing, okay? But the problem is that oftentimes we have the tendency as people to believe that the gospel is kind of like the front door into Christianity, like the entryway. So you, you pass through and then you go into Christianity, the Christian life. That couldn't be farther from the truth. Because if this news is true, it literally affects everything. The gospel is not the front door. The gospel is the entire building. No matter where you are inside, it's the gospel. It's not something that we move past. It's something that we go deeper into as Christians, as followers of Jesus. We learn more about its implications the deeper we go. We discover more because the implications of the gospel are inexhaustible. That means we never move on from it. Now, I share that with you because it seems ridiculous to try to simplify something so profound, okay, something so vast and amazing, but for the sake of clarity, I'm going to actually try, okay? So bear with me this morning. I'm going to try to simplify the gospel, okay? At the most basic level, at the most basic level, the gospel means understanding and believing one simple phrase made up of three words, okay? But here's the thing. You have to truly understand each of those three words or it completely breaks down. Two out of three, fail. Like you have to completely understand each of these three words or it breaks down. Make sense? Here's what it is. God, write this down. God loves me. I can already see some eyes glazing over at this point. Some of you guys have been in church a long time. You've heard this a thousand times. You're like, okay, another message on the gospel. I've heard this before. I know God loves me. I beg you to stay with me because this is exactly what every single one of us need to hear today. Okay, trust me. Let's break it down. God, right? God loves me. God. All through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, you see this overwhelming language of God being holy. Okay? Um, For instance, the angels in heaven, they've been worshiping him for eternity. They haven't moved past holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They haven't stopped. They haven't, cool, that was great, let's move on to something else. They haven't stopped declaring his holiness in awe, okay? God, holy. What holy means is to be set apart. Like, it, it means that, like, it means you're different. 
it means you're in a league of your own. Okay, like, like no one can touch you. You are your own thing. Nothing is like you. You're incomparable. You're set apart. You're holy. Okay? There's no one like him. So we have the scriptures telling us that God is holy. Okay, scriptures tell us Genesis 1, right? God created. He's the creator. So you have this holy creator. Uh, Psalm 18 tells us God is perfect. Like, I've spent so much of my life trying to perfectly perform, whether it be for the approval of people or to get a, a woman to like me or, you see what I'm saying? Like, I spend so, I've spent so much energy trying to be perfect and falling on my face every single time. But this God, he's, he's holy, he's a creator, and he's perfect? Okay, uh, Psalm 145 tells us God is righteous in all of his ways. I love this verse in Isaiah 40. Uh, it's verse 28. It says that God's everlasting. Let me read this to you. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. The scriptures tell us uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, God is the king of kings. Like, he's the Lord of lords. And what it's telling us is God is the highest authority. Okay? Trump's got nothing on him. Like, pick your, pick your favorite or your least favorite politician. They, they're not even in the same universe. Because God is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the highest authority. And in the New Testament... As prophesied in the Old Testament, the New Testament tells us that God does something absolutely incredible. He puts flesh on. <laughs> he, 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 he becomes a man. Like he takes on flesh in the person of Jesus, right? Uh, let me read you a couple of verses really quick. I'm going to bounce around the Bible a lot today, but just stay with me, okay? Colossians 1, chapter 15, talking about God putting on flesh in the person of Jesus, says this, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. A few verses later in verse 19, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of that God, holy, creator, everlasting, <clears throat> for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Guys, Jesus, Jesus is everything. Jesus answers the question, what is God like? If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus because the fullness, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. He's the image of that invisible God for us to look at and see and experience. So we have God, holy, perfect, righteous in all of his ways, like utterly glorious, everlasting. We have God, Let's talk about me and you. Um, for starters, we were created. We didn't create ourselves. We didn't initiate our existence, right? Uh, this familiar verse, Genesis 127, you've heard this before. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. So we're created, right? We were created to be in this beautiful relationship, like a beautiful and loving relationship with God, our creator. 
take just a moment and think about this, okay? Take a moment and consider the fact that God created you. Think about you for just a second. Think about your attributes, like the color of your eyes. Your personality, whether you're silly or whether you're serious. Think about your talents, the things that you are good at, the things that come more naturally to you than they do to other people. Think about your brain. And think about the reality that somebody created you and all of your intricacies. Hear me say this. There's nobody like you on the face of the planet, past, present, or future. So God creates us, right? And he creates us to be in this amazing, beautiful, life-giving, secure relationship with him. But you're just like me. We mess it up, right? You guys know the story. We rebel against God and his ways. We reject him. If you've ever read Romans chapter one, it's a very sobering chapter in scripture. Romans one says we reject and rebel against God and because of that, we deserve his wrath. He's the offended party. Let me read this to you really quick. Okay, Romans chapter one, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Not just the ones that feel right to me, right to you. The wrath, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. In other words, my ungodliness, your ungodliness, my unrighteousness, your unrighteousness, it deserves punishment, okay? He continues on in verse 21 in Romans. For although they, that's all mankind, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Uh, A few verses later in verse 24, therefore, because of that, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies. He basically said, okay, if you want to touch the stove, I'm, I'm cautioning you, don't do it, don't do it. Okay, so it's, therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they, listen to this, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature, the creation, right? Rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Okay, so you have mankind, it's all of us, right? Rejected God and chose his stuff over him. Let's not minimize emotion for just a sec, okay? Have you ever been rejected? Like, seriously, do you know what that feels like? You ever been betrayed by somebody close to you? Have you ever felt that sting? Somebody that you genuinely care for. Maybe even love them. And that's the party, that's the person, that's the source of the pain that's inflicted. Have you ever felt betrayed? Have you ever been rejected? Do you know what that feels like? God knows exactly what that's like, man. So, 
We reject God, right? We sin. We deserve his wrath because of it. I mean, Ephesians chapter 2 says we're dead in our sins. It's pretty strong language. But God loves me. God loves me. Let's talk about loves. One of the most profound verses in all of Scripture. Uh, I'm going to read this to you. It's one verse. As I read this to you, what I want you to do is I want you to consider who God is. And then I want you to consider who we are. You've heard this before. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us, not hate, not even wrath, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel means God loves me. The Holy One loves the sinner. The good one loves the evil one. And how do we know? Jesus. Jesus, his life, his death. Friends, the gospel is the news that God became a man to live the life that you never could in your place, okay? To live the life that you and I, the sinner, we never could, to live it in your place and to die the death that you and I deserve, that that wrath, that punishment for rejection, to absorb that punishment. He lived the life, he died the death that you and I deserve. Friends, and then he rose from the grave. That's the victory. Like the Romans, right? Declaring the gospel of the battle won, Declaring the, the, the joyful news, the battle has won, there's victory. The Christian gospel is news of a victory. Hear me say this. The Christian gospel is the news of a victory of Jesus, God in the flesh, the Holy One, takes on flesh and he, they, he, he, lays, he lives his life, dies his death in our place and then he rises from the dead. That's good news of the victory that he has. It's, it's the good news of the victory of God defeating sin, Satan, and death once and for all. The battle's won. The joyful news, declare it. Shout it on top of a mountain, in the words of Ron Burgundy. The great, the great theologian, Ron Burgundy. <clears throat> Why? Because of his love for Sinners. Scandalous. The gospel is news about what's happened. It's not advice about what to do. Finally, my third point. Why is this so important for us? Well, it's amazing because not only are we pardoned of our sins, okay, like not only is anybody who trusts in, in this news, anybody who trusts in this news, not only are we pardoned of our sins, not only are we forgiven, but God actually offers us even more. He offers us more. He offers us Jesus' perfect record. If we trust in this news, if we trust in this gospel, not only do we get forgiveness, not only do we get pardoned for our sins, we get his perfect record on top of it. Amen. Amen, Toby. 
we get this perfect record. This is known, for you Bible nerds, this is the, God, or this is the doctrine of justification. Um, how many of you guys enjoy watching the Olympics when it's on? I actually enjoy watching the Olympics. I think it, it, it fires me up. Have uh, you guys ever watched Olympic diving? Nobody. Okay, like Jill. Jill and Colton and me were the, okay. Yeah, okay, so Olympic diving, right? It's these guys, they get on these huge platforms. They're way, anybody know how, how high up they are? I don't even know. It looks terrifying, but they're up on this high platform and they're in Speedos and they, they'll jump off the platform and they'll do all these crazy flips and spins and turns and somehow land like a pencil through the water. How do you do that, right? And here's the thing. The whole goal is that like what, like they get scored. They get judged on it. So there's like, there's, there's like a panel of, of people that are going, okay, the splash was too big because they want to have a small splash and they weren't tight enough in their twist and all these different things. You guys, you just know where I'm going with this. <clears throat> so you have this Olympic, these Olympic divers, right? <clears throat> have you ever seen the videos of these guys failing? If you're having a bad day, Sorry, don't judge me right now, but it's so funny. If you're having a bad day, you put this on. You put on the Olympic diver fails, and you will, and especially if they're in slow motion, because their faces are all like contorted, because they're, they're in the Olympics. They've trained their whole lives for this. Like, they're trying, they're giving it everything they have. So you have some dude, and sometimes they'll go backwards, you know, and they'll do this move, and then they'll jump, and they'll flip, and they'll be spinning, and you'll just see, and they'll, they have this look on their face, and they're coming back like this, and then like backflop. They just totally miserably fail, or they'll come across, and you don't see it happening until it's like, uh, oh God, and you know that hurts so bad. If you've ever done a belly flop from like three feet off the ground, you're like, ah, I'm gonna go lay down for a bit. These guys are doing it from like three, four, five stories in the air. If you've ever seen those videos, they're hilarious. Okay, <laughs> they get out of the water. You know, one, they're hurt. They're in pain. Uh, there's no protection. It's not like any other sport. They're wearing a Speedo. There's no protection. They're hurt. They get out of the water, and they got to stand there. You know, half the crowd's giggling. They stand there. They look up at the scoreboard, and it's like, you know, from the diver from you know, the United States of America, three out of ten. 2.7 out of 10. Like it's, and it just goes down the line of just like fail, 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 fail. If my life was Olympic diving, it would be a series of massive splashes and belly flops. The choices I make on the regular this morning, I yelled at my daughter. I was short with my wife because they unplugged my iPad and it was charging I need to preach on it. If my life was Olympic diving, my scores would be awful. Do you know what the gospel means? Do you know what it means to be justified? It means that this loser of a diver gets a 10 out of 10 across the board. because Jesus Christ dove in my place. I get his score. My friend, what does your scorecard look like today? What does it read? 
You see what I mean by the implications of the gospel? They run deep. Being justified is one of the greatest things in the entire world, and it's available to us in the gospel of Jesus. Next thing I want to talk about this is freedom, right? So if you're justified, okay, if you're justified by what God has done, right, it's news, you're justified by what God has done through Jesus, then you're, if your scorecard reads 10 out of 10, okay, what that means is that you are incredibly free. You are incredibly free. You're free to be totally honest, totally transparent about all kinds of stuff. You're, you're free to be totally honest about your faults, about your sins, about your mistakes, about your insecurities even. Because, listen to me say this, if your trust is in the gospel, the news of Jesus, those things don't define you anymore. They don't show up on your scorecard. You tracking with me? <clears throat> so, you're free. You're free to be honest. You're free to be transparent because those things don't define you anymore. You're free to try new things. You're free to, you're free to try new tucks and new twists and new flips. You're free to go higher up on the, on the platform. You're free to do all these different things because you are already justified by what has been done. Can I get an amen for that? <clears throat> Your scorecard already says 10 out of 10. Even if you mess up, not even if, even when you mess up, All right, I'll close with this. I'll call the band on up. You guys can join me up here. Take a drink of water. If I'm yelling, I'm passionate. It's like a sorry but not sorry thing. I I love you, I honor you, but... Okay, um, I just want to close with talking about this. If this is going to be a value, if this is going to be the sun in our solar system, if this is going to be what helps define who we are as a church, valuing the gospel above everything else, like everything. <clears throat> How then does this impact us as restored church? For starters, it completely levels the playing field. Okay? The gospel means we all have something in common. We all need saving. Every single person. Okay? Each of us has no hope for forgiveness, no hope for freedom or justification without a savior securing it for us, okay? So listen, if we truly value the gospel, that means there's absolutely no room for pride in our community. Like zero. Nobody's better or worse than anybody else, okay? Regardless of how much money you make or don't make, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of your age or your stage of life, fill in any blank you want. Nobody's better or worse. We all have something really, really profound in common. We all desperately need saving. We're all equally in need of this saving every day. And you see this kind of stuff happen in communities, not just the church, in communities across the board. I'm insecure. I want to feel better about myself. So I'm going to talk about how, um, I'm going to talk poorly about somebody else because I want to feel better about me. It's like saying, <laughs> it's like I just got off the platform with like the gnarliest belly flop. My back's, my, my belly's all red and I'm sore and I'm hunched over. And then Herrick gets up there and does the same. I'm like, look at that idiot with the belly flop. Guy can't even dive. It's ridiculous. The cross levels the playing field. Newsflash, you're just as messed up as I am. You need to save her just as much as I do. 
And the same is true for everybody in the room. So pride can't exist in a community like that. The only environment where pride can exist and thrive is a community that's not centered on the gospel of Jesus. My heart drifts from the gospel every day. That's why I need all of you to remind me, and that's why you need each other to remind each other of what? Not advice. News of what's already been done about the perfect diver in heaven. It affects the way that we relate to each other. I'm going to talk more about that next week. We'll talk about our second value family. Okay, what else does it mean? It also means that we aren't people who primarily share advice or people who share news, okay? And listen, that applies to like when you're with Christians and with not yet Christians. We aren't people of advice. We're people with news, Because listen, the primary and most important thing we can offer is news about what's already been done through Jesus because it can enlighten people to the reality that God offers them justification and freedom. True justification, true freedom. A list of to-dos will never do that for them. But you're just like me, friend we tend to forget the gospel. Not the concepts, but the implications. Not not the facts, but the implications. We forget the gospel. How do I know? Because we don't live free. We, We don't live free. We don't live justified. We pretend and we perform and we live in fear. Friends, the truth is that every Christian, every Christian needs to be reminded and preach the gospel to every day. Well, I forget who talks about this. Uh, One author refers to it as gospel amnesia. We forget. Another thing it means practically for us as a church, if we're going to value the gospel, it means we never move on from it. We never move on from it. We go deeper into it. And this plays out in a very tangible way. The gospel, hear me say this, the gospel is not just our message. It's also our motivation. It's not, yes, it is news, but it's not just that. It actually is what motivates us, okay? Like, why do I obey God's commands? Why do I obey God's commands? I don't obey to earn something from him. I obey because God loves me. The, the gospel is my motivation, Like, why do I pray? Why do I read my Bible? Why do I give generously? Why do I serve others? Why do I obey him? Because God loves me. I hope you see this. I hope that you see that the gospel is the only thing in the universe that has the power to actually change the motivation of your heart. Nothing else in all of creation can do that. Only the gospel has the power to transform your motivation from self-centered and selfish to loving, to to, to selfless. Because it's joyful news about what's been done for you and you don't deserve it. It's grace. That's the grace of God. And hear me say this, I'm almost done, okay? Nobody's too far gone. Nobody's out of the reach 
of the God in heaven who shows us his love for us and that while we were set sinners, Christ died for us. No one's too far gone. I'm gonna read you one more piece in our original passage in 1 Corinthians 15. If you can, put verse nine back up there. In 1 Corinthians 15. No one's too far gone, okay? The apostle Paul writing this. Verse nine, for I am the least of the apostles. These are the guys that spent time with Jesus. I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. World's greatest church planner, world's greatest missionary, wrote huge chunks of the New Testament. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Friends, the gospel's for anybody. It's for anyone, okay? No one's off limits. Not even a terrorist like Paul. Paul's story is kind of like if ISIS, you know, they're beheading Christians because they follow Jesus. Literally, this is real, okay? Fake news, real news, put it away. People die. They get their heads cut off by ISIS because they don't renounce Jesus. It's like one of those dudes, a general in ISIS, going, I need to tell everybody about Jesus. It's radically transformative. The gospel's for anybody. The apostle Paul, he organized the murder of Christians. He, he sought out people who, and tried to kill them for the, for the simple fact that they followed Jesus. And this is the man who's writing this. He's in this pursuit of killing Christians and then he experiences the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus. And it completely transforms even him. No one's too far gone. The grace of God has the power to cover even the absolute worst thing that you've ever done. The thing that you've locked away in your heart that you don't ever want to like resurface in your brain, think about, talk about, don't want anybody to know. God's grace is even that powerful to justify, forgive, and bring freedom to even that. I'll leave you with this, okay? Here's what it means to actually be a Christian. To actually be a Christian, according to the scriptures, in light of the gospel, it means this. It means to be a person who in an ongoing way is practicing repentance. You guys know what it means to repent? It means to become aware of sin in ways that you're rejecting God, in ways that you're disobeying him. I become aware of that and I stop doing it. That's repentance. Every day. When I'm short with my kids, oh, that's not the kind of man I want to be. That's, that's not what Jesus would have me to do. I see it. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stop. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to go. I'm going to walk the other way. Not walk away from my kids, but walk the other way from the sin. That's repentance. What it means to be a Christian is someone who practices repentance on an ongoing way every day and someone who believes the gospel. Repentance. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. All day, every day. That's what it means to be a Christian. Like to actually believe that God loves me and he loves you and how can we be sure like how do we know for sure God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us do you believe that do you believe that pray for us. Will you stand if you're able?
I'm going to pray, but I'm just going to listen for just a second. So just bear with me. Spirit is saying that there really are people who are afraid. Um, I even like get the sense that there's been like um, just really dark thoughts, even like even like even like considering harming yourself. Um, and I really feel like um, the Spirit wants you to know that the perfect love of Jesus can cast out even the darkest fear, even the heaviest fear, the perfect love of Jesus on display of the cross. So I pray that over us now, Father, um, this beautiful, joyful news of the victory of Jesus, him leaving heaven, the comforts of heaven into a world full of people who reject him because of his great love for us. I pray the love of Jesus over this room. I pray anybody who's, who's, who's really kind of struggling with, with fear, anybody who's, who's struggling with uh, even like depression, like deep depression, um, the thoughts of harming yourself, uh, I pray, Holy Spirit, that in this moment you would help them to see that God, holy, blameless, righteous, glorious, everlasting, King of kings, the most important person in the world, most important person in the universe, God loves them. And I pray that that you really would make us a community who um, doesn't move on from the gospel. We move deeper into it because it's the most glorious and beautiful thing in the entire universe. We wouldn't be people of advice. Oh, what you need to do is start working out, man. You're struggling with feelings of depression. You need to get active. You need to eat right. You need to get, hey, husbands, you need to get the date night going. Your marriage is in trouble, man. You gotta, you gotta light the spark. You gotta figure something out. You gotta do something. Wise counsel's great, Lord, but nothing can touch the good news, the joyful news of what Jesus has done because that's the only thing that can bring transformation to our hearts to, not, to stop being selfish people. So I pray that over us now. I pray that we would be men and women who boldly and courageously face our sins head on, repent and believe the news. And it would be people who carry that news with us. That our first reaction when we encounter people we love, our first reaction when we encounter people in general would not be advice. It would be news. Joyful, beautiful, glorious news that can change us and transform us from the inside out. Make our community a community centered on the gospel for your glory, God, and for our good. In your holy name, Jesus, amen.